Hello, accountants and financial planners. Welcome to In The Slipstream FM, the podcast designed to help you run a better business. Such a terrific episode in store for you today. I'd also like to welcome listeners who are not the usual consumers of this podcast. Likely, you've been referred to this show and this episode in particular through an interest in charitable giving, a topic which will feature during the conversation with my guest. I'm Scott Charlton from Slipstream Group, and in today's show, I'm inviting you to join me in conversation with a colleague I've known for 20 years. Up until very recently, this colleague has been a really accomplished financial advisor, and yet now, post the firm he personified, is engrossed in a role which fits him like a glove. The conversation traverses topics that occupy the mind of a good many listeners to this podcast. Am I doing all I could be doing for my clients? Is there life at a meaningful role for me after public practice? Over and above the responsibilities I have towards my family, of course, how do I create a positive impact from my skills, interests and experience? In summary, I'm really hoping that this interview will get you thinking. Then, after the main interview is finished, stay around because I'm going to share with you a few thoughts of my own about the role you could be playing for your clients. Let's get started. Now here's some great ideas for your firm, where we're all about success on your terms. Get the knowledge, the tools and insights from special guests. Everything you need to become your very best. So come and build the business of your dreams. Settle in and listen now to In The Slipstream. And welcome back. Today's conversation is with Larry Fingelson, a chartered accountant who is widely known and incredibly well-respected for his long-standing tenure as Managing Director of Priority Advisory Group, a Sydney-based firm of financial planners. I'd been looking forward to the conversation for any number of reasons. Firstly, I've always respected Larry as a businessman and as an astute, very strategic thinker. Secondly, I've been in awe of the various activities that Larry has organised to raise funds for worthy causes, all whilst holding down a serious day job. And finding out more about what Larry is doing post-priority. So it seemed such a natural fit to invite Larry onto the podcast when he and I ran into one another at Sydney Airport one afternoon. It seems this is the perfect vehicle to settle in and ask all the questions I had for him. Come and I'll introduce you to Larry. Have no doubt that you're tuning in to a very interesting discussion. I started the interview by asking Larry about his ability to lift his sights to consider what's happening on the far horizon. Specifically, whether this is innate for him or something he learned along the way. Now, Scott, I think I've always, from a very young age, thought between the short term and the long term. And I think as 
time went on, go through school, I think it evolved to become thinking about cause and effect. And then later on in life and through career, it was an intense focus on planning. So a lot of time to plan whatever it is that I wanted to do and then time to execute. So there were really distinct version between the short-term, long-term and the planning and the doing. You've ended up in what looks like the perfect role, but let's traverse your career thus far to provide some context. Could you please give the listeners a brief summary of your career up to this point? I did a Bachelor of Business in Accounting and Finance that was okay. through uni, went on to do Chartered Accounting with Ernst & Young in Sydney and London. Did a short stint in corporate, but realised that wasn't for me. And then I think the bit that you know, spent 20 years in financial advice. Um, in the middle of all of that, there was a journey of self-discovery, period of time where I searched for meaning and for purpose. And it led to my involvement in the charity and philanthropic sector. Larry, would you mind giving the listeners a thumbnail sketch of Priority Advisory Group, the firm which I dare say has helped to define your career to date? Priority Advisory Group was started in 1987 by Russell Marks and Alan Crowitz, who were the two founders of the business. I had the joy of joining the business in 2001 as the fifth employee at the time. Um, it was a succession and growth strategy for Russell and Alan. And during my time at Priority, we, we, we grew and it evolved. Uh, uh, we had between five and 20 employees and team okay. members over the time that I was there. And we broadened it into more holistic advice than the traditional um, risk business that it started as. Larry, ahead of this interview, I reflected upon what I've seen about how you operate. I've come up with six observations which I'll get you to confirm or otherwise deny. For each one that I've got right, you might also care to comment about the observation and even throw in an example. Firstly, your intense curiosity reflected in very thoughtful questions and seeking out interesting people for answers. Confirm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My mum always said, Scott, that I would always ask why until I fully understood everything that was happening before I would be content. And I think that led into the maxim of just seeking to understand. So always wanting to ask better questions. And I think when I look back at the advice space, I think that's one of the keys to good advisors is being able to seek to understand before we are understood with our advice. Secondly, the quest for growth, both business and personal. Confirm, and it's a, it's, it's a deep drive to always look for ways to help and create impact. So it's, it's a drive to try and learn as much as I can with the time I've got to help as many people as I can with what I've learned. That flows on nicely to number three, looking for ways to collaborate and to connect people where synergies can be uncovered. I don't know where it came from, but maybe just always looking, as you said before, look, looking for others that can help. And I think there's a true, a true truism that we are always better together, that others are always looking for ways to be part of something bigger than themselves. Yes. And people are always willing to help. So if we can collaborate and learn from others, we've got to end up in a better position. 
That in turn leads on very neatly to number four, leveraging the time and talents of others, not doing it all yourself. I think it's exactly what we were just saying. We just yes. we get a better we get a better result, and people enjoy being part of something. So by asking and including them, we get, we're going to get to a better place, a more aligned place. Developing one's successor and otherwise paving the way for others to follow. Thinking about this, Scott, I guess it was in the plan. It was in the planning from day one. In as much okay. as in as much as I was Russell and Allen's succession. Yes. So too, from the beginning, was I looking for who would be my successor within the business. That neatly follows on. An eye on the exit and otherwise for what's next. So I always want to build the business rather than any one individual. And the exit was very much to secure the business for the security of the clients. Okay. And that was, there was always an eye to look for how we could ensure our clients would be looked after within the business long beyond any of the individuals that were in the business. And finally, Larry, handling a portfolio of activities, making an effective contribution in each. This has been a constant challenge, Scott. <laughs> uh, you challenged me. Um, uh, there always has been a portfolio of activities. I can't confirm that I've always handled them, but I did reflect and say I always have had and do have a desire to do more. Uh, a good and wise mentor of mine has always said to me, chase too many rabbits and you'll catch none. Yes. So it is a balance between yes. Planning, executing, and achieving all that you seek to go after. And as I've got older, I am learning that I need to do less rather than more well. That's really great. And thanks for that collection of answers and examples. Indulgently, I really did enjoy looking back over our association and finding those characteristics with which I attribute to you. Now, changing direction, Larry, uh, offline, we spoke about a formative meeting uh, with a chap called William that you had in your financial planning days. Given the direction you've taken since then and where you are currently directing your energies, I think it's oh so relevant to today's discussion. So would you please give the listeners a brief summary of what you proposed in that meeting and what happened subsequently? So we're going back... Uh, 12, 13 years now, and uh, William came in and was seeking to diversify his wealth across five money managers. And we were potentially one of the money managers of his portfolio. And we took a position to say, we don't want to manage the money. Um, yes. What we want to do is be one of the ringmasters Yes. with him and oversee five other fund managers. So right. we said we, we, we don't want to take on the engagement okay. that, that, you, that, that he was seeking. Um, it led to an interesting position because what mandate would we have? And back then, what landed up happening is we did a review of everything that he had in place, which included a deep insight into estate plan. Okay. And the estate planning conversation led to also talking about society and the impact on society through philanthropy, through charity, and bringing in the potential tax benefits that could come from that. 
So it started with an estate planning conversation, led to a tax and philanthropic one. Yes. And ultimately, we set up a private ancillary fund for, um, for the benefit of society. Wow, that's a long way from just managing the money. Uh, so well done you. I'd like to talk a little bit now about what you're currently up to. You took Priority Advisory Group to Great Heights and dare I say, exited still at the peak of your professional powers. So what are you currently doing? So I exited from Priority Advisory Group. The identified successor is in place running the business and I am effectively now working inside the private ancillary fund called the Edward Alexander Foundation as almost a family office role, yes, but more focus on the impact on society with the funds that are inside the private ancillary fund. Well, who knew that such a role existed? So what's the end game here? The end game is maximum impact on society and engaging the kids and the family in the giving. So once the money is inside, which I think we're going to come and speak to, once the money is inside the private ancillary fund, it is no longer the family's wealth. It is there for the benefit of society. The end game is to have maximum impact, to engage the children and to use the money as an energy source for the benefit of society. Wow, that's amazing. Now, although a topic of private ancillary funds is likely worth a podcast in itself, could you please give the listeners a brief explanation of how these work and the role that such a fund might play in the financial affairs of one's clients? So I was thinking about this, Scott, ahead of time, and the way I look at it is if we look at structures that we have in place for clients, we have our super fund, which has its certain laws and rules and benefits yes. for the investment of retiring retirement money for the benefit of the beneficiaries. Yes. We've got our family trusts that sit as our investment vehicles with their rules that yes. are there for asset protection and distribution in time. And the private ancillary fund is a vehicle that has additional tax benefits of money that is contributed into a private ancillary fund, the donor receives a tax deduction upfront or can spread that donation over five years. Mm -hmm. And it then becomes the vehicle by which the family or anyone associated with it can choose to donate to causes that mean something to them. It's a difficult question, I know, but how do you think this podcast with its audience of accountants and financial planners going to further the cause? Very tough question. Um, (laughs) Scott, I would say that it's bringing in philanthropy, tax and estate planning into the conversations with clients. It's taking the conversations potentially broader or deeper than they've already been. So it's either we access through estate planning and move from estate planning if clients are prepared to donate when they are no longer. Yes. We want to bring it in and open the conversation for them to give while they live and have that the money that they otherwise would have donated when they were no longer 
put into structures while they are around and get tax benefits for that while they're around and see the benefit that can be done to society. So it's, it's bringing in tax accounting and estate planning into the one conversation. That's great. And I dare say that the benefactor having the opportunity to see his or her uh, generosity being put into action would be deeply satisfying and very, very personal. Larry, in a recent discussion, we spoke about a golden triangle and the benefits of getting everyone in the room together. Would you mind briefly sharing what this is about? Back to the previous point, it's clients generally, as we know, and you know only too well, Scott, that accountants are gatekeepers to people's wealth. Yes. And they equally are potentially the group that might stop a sure. client from putting this type of strategy in place. Yes. But if we have the advisor in the room together with the lawyer yes. who would do the drafting and have a full conversation yes. between the client's desires, yes. the tax implications and or benefits, yes. and the social and societal benefits that come from it, there is a greater likelihood of the end outcome happening rather than siloed conversations. Great. Just changing tack a bit, to me, you're synonymous with breathtaking endeavours to raise money and awareness, cycling great distances, travelling to far off lands, and otherwise organising people to come together for good causes. What's been some of the highlights of that activity? I think the combination of great friendships, uh -huh. looking after your health, yep. and making an impact yep. on the beneficiary of the charities that you are helping. I think they're the three things that really do come together. When you bring good people together to look after yourself, take an endeavour and make an impact on right. those charities. As much as you have personally peddled, you've been strategic in your fundraising and awareness generating. This has culminated in groups of people, whether on bikes or at fundraising dinners, coming together. What for you is the most rewarding part of these endeavours? I think the, the multi-day bike rides that we've done is actually being off the grid. Okay. <laughs> it's being off the grid, knowing that you are doing good yes. with good people yeah. and looking after yourself. And I think that that is the, 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 real, the real connection, the real human connection of uh, taking clients or friends or prospects on these endeavours. Uh, you make lifelong friendships. Larry, curiously, you've likened moving in philanthropic circles as akin to being on a drug, <laughs> albeit a very exhilarating and healthy one. You're definitely going to have to explain that one. Now, Scott, it's, it's one of those things where you may have, when you travel, you haven't been to another country and you go and you immerse yourself in their culture and you come back and you say, that was incredible. And yes. I didn't know anything about it. Yes. What I've experienced with the not-for-profit sector or the for-purpose sector, as it's yes. referred, and, or sometimes it's called the third sector. We've got business, okay. we've got government, and then we've got the charity sector. The, the giving is, feels so good. And it doesn't just have to be giving of your money. It's giving of your time or your talents or your networks. Yes. But once you deeply engage, it is so fulfilling that you want more. Uh -huh. Yep. That's what I'm referring to. Great. Okay. But we need to immerse to experience it. And generally, 
everybody wants to help. Yes. I believe that we all have a giving spark, but there's so many people asking us that we shield our spark rather yes. than going to look for where it is that we can make a significant difference. And once you have found it, you just want to do more. <laughs> Very good. As we get towards the end of this interview, I'd like to pick up just a few other points about you and how you roll. So what role have mentors played during your career as a practitioner? Always taken the view, Scott, that uh, there are others that know more than me. Yes. And I love going back to where we started, just being curious about learning. Yes. I've always sought out those that are at the pinnacle of whatever area it is that I'm in and yes. sought them out and asked for them to mentor me. Um, so, you know, in the planning space, I would always find out who was running the best practices and yes. go and meet yes. those principals and they would be willing to help. When we were starting, as I mentioned, in the not-for-profit sector, uh, reached out to a gentleman called Alan English and actually asked him if he would mentor me yes. over the five-year journey of the growth project that we're on. So it's just always listening and finding out is who is at their peak and asking them to please help so that you can become a better version of yourself. So what's the response you get when you ask for this sort of assistance? With a clarity of expectation yes. of what it is in that relationship, I've not had anyone ever say that they won't help. Yes. So as long as you're not asking for anything unrealistic or something that they are unable to provide, yes. it's always been yes. Any other tips for getting the most out of a relationship with a mentor? Back to what I said, it's a clarity of the expectation. Yes. Uh, it is actually having that expectation conversation such that you're not overstepping the mark of their desire to help you. So just being clear upfront of yes. what you are asking of them and what you expect of them and what they expect of you nice. and living up to that. You've played sport at a high level and you're still looking pretty fit. What's your current exercise regimen? Swim, ride, run. That sounds very purposeful. Are you training for a particular event? Yes, there's a number of events on the horizon, but the ultimate one, which uh, this is an ultimate accountability goal is to finish the cross the finish line at Port Macquarie Ironman oh my goodness. <laughs> May 2024. Any advice for practitioners in staying fit and healthy amongst the numerous demands on one's time? What about this, Scott? And I think the, the best piece is treating it as a priority, putting it in the diary. Okay. So actually booking it into the diaries. So yeah. if, it's as, if it's up there with time with family or clients, yes. if it's actually in the diary, then you don't let client meetings creep into yes. that time for self. Right. And the other one I would just put is find a challenge and find an accountability partner. Good stuff. Now, you've pretty much answered uh, my question, but... Uh, are there any more epic fundraising adventures in the wind? The one that we are busy putting together for a charity called Thread Together is New York Marathon 2024. Okay. November 2024. Right, right. So we're waiting for this year's to tick over. 
Yep. And that's the fundraising one. There's also Feel the Magic bike ride multi-day in 2024 as well. So right. those are the two fundraising ones. There's a Excellent. couple of other personal personal events, but they're not fundraising ones. Great. Well, I'll put details of those incredible activities in the show notes for anyone who might be interested in following through on those. Now, Larry, you've done such an excellent job of answering what has been a fairly rigorous bunch of questions. Uh, we're going to finish off now with the Slipstream Rapid Fire Dozen. Are you ready? Go. Apple or Android phone? Apple. Would you prefer to be at the beach or in the snow next Christmas? Beach. Give me three tips for living a life with purpose. Clarity of values. Yes. Clarity of goals. Yes. And time with family. What's the first thought that goes through your mind when you hear that the new leadership team at your old firm is making changes to one of your key initiatives? Thrilled that they are taking it to a better place. What's an expression you're renowned for? Dream, plan, action. What's more important on a long charity bike ride? A super light machine or a comfortable bike seat? The seat. What's a word you would use to describe a person used to playing sport at elite level who against his better judgment has stayed on for one season too long? Silly. Do you think you'll live to see a female president of the USA? Mm, no. Complete the following sentence. The best way to get people rallying around a good cause is... Ensure alignment of purpose. What's a book you've read recently from which you've drawn insights or inspiration? Ikigai. It's a book called Ikigai. It goes through the four concentric circles of trying to find our perfect place and purpose of what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you are good at. And where they intersect is your ikigai. Now, Larry, what has been the high watermark to date in your personal musical performances? There is no high watermark. <laughs> never one thing in our family there's no musical there's just been no musical right. it's all sport and finally what's your go-to choice of fruit for lunch on a hot summer's day banana larry fingelson thanks so much for being a guest today on in the slipstream fm thank you for having me scott Well, that concludes my interview with Larry Fingelson, head of the Edward Alexander Foundation. Gosh, such a significant amount of things that we covered during that discussion. Some of the things I particularly wanted to note were private ancillary funds and the roles that they can play in supporting good causes, whilst at the same time fostering healthy discussions about family and money bringing philanthropy and estate planning into the conversations with one's clients. And I particularly like what Larry had to say about encouraging clients to give while they live so that they can see the benefits that flow from their generosity. 
Larry also spoke about activities which bring good people together to create great outcomes for intended beneficiaries. Wow. <laughs> His remark about how giving of one's time, talents or networks feels so good was particularly memorable and, for that matter, admirable. Some other gems which stood out for me during the interview included seeking out people, asking them to mentor him, albeit first ensuring clarity of expectations between mentor and mentee, and also booking exercise time in the diary, finding a physical challenge to keep oneself motivated, and also having an accountability buddy. I can vouch for all of these. I've put contact details of Larry in the accompanying show notes. You'll find that he is readily contactable via LinkedIn. Oh yes, when asked about a book he'd read lately, Larry mentioned, and I hope I've got the pronunciation right, Ikigai, The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life. I've put details of this book in the show notes, together with details of some other books about passing on wealth and philanthropy, which Larry often recommends to clients and their advisors. In the second part of today's episode, I'd like to share some thoughts about the difference between what I call input versus output thinking. Let me explain. So often as practitioners, we're dedicated to getting things done on time and ensuring the details are correct. For accountants, this might be the information that goes into a tax return, ensuring that the client's personal details are accurately stated when setting up a new entity. For financial planners, this might be the amount of super that can still be contributed this financial year. Equally, it could be to ensure that the statement of advice accurately reflects what's in the file note. However, from a client's perspective, these things are largely assumed. In effect, they're essential just to have a ticket to the game. Now, I'm sorry to be breaking some shocking news to you. Accountants, no client actually wants a company income tax return. For that matter, no client wants a self-managed super fund. Instead, those clients want to be running a better business and to enjoy a great lifestyle in retirement. The former might be where you spend a lot of your focus, but the latter is what the client actually wants. From a financial planning perspective, Few clients are as worried about the precise allocation of their investment portfolio as they are about when or if they're going to run out of money in retirement. It's the same story regarding their insurance premiums. Yes, you may save them some premiums with astute brokering, but it's the job you do at claim time that they will most value. In all these examples, doing the thing such as preparing a tax return or setting up an insurance policy, is an input. It's a given you'll be able to do this competently by the due date. On the other hand, the result of what you achieve with and for the client, having enough capital for retirement, or having funds available to recover from catastrophe, is the output. This leads me to what Larry covered during the interview 
as a great example of guiding the client to a wonderful output. Now, let me hasten to add at this point that not all your clients will have surplus capital or underutilised time. Some professional judgment is required here to identify those who might be willing and able to contemplate a planned approach to philanthropy. But if you can guide receptive clients such that they experience the joy of giving and the satisfaction of making a lasting impact, then you will have truly engaged in an output of significance. I further venture to say that this would be an outcome which is worthy of your talents, knowledge and experience. So the issue to reflect upon is for all the trust that clients place in you to guide them, whether you are sufficiently engaged in output thinking and the nature of your conversations with them. What else are you doing for the client beyond doing the input? It's a question well worth considering. That's the end of our show today. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you got lots from it. Music for this episode is once again brought to us by Tim Lane. Thanks, Tim. Until the next episode, onwards and upwards. We all have these choices about what we're gonna do. The simple fact is, it's always up to you. It was a long, long time ago. A long, long time. A long, long time ago. A long, long time. Oh